Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. In our Old Testament reading a couple days ago, we've, we heard that many of those Old Testament regulations were to set Israelites apart from the surrounding cultures with regard to the way that those surrounding cultures worshipped idols, often in the form of direct demonic worship. Now, an idol's primary function in the ancient Near East typically wasn't to physically represent what a deity looked like. Instead, it formed the primary locus or medium for the deity to manifest himself or herself in the world. Now, fast forward 15 centuries to the time of Paul and the church in Corinth that he's writing to, and interestingly, that's still the case. Now, because of the prevalence of idolatry in the Greco-Roman world, the New Testament characterizes idolatry as the epitome of what it means to be non-Christian. And then, not unsurprisingly, dining in an idol's temple was an act of demon worship that Christians should shun, right? Christians should learn from Israel's bad example that they must avoid idolatry. And relationally, remember, relationship requires balance. Relationally, freedom needs to be balanced with responsibility. And I hope that makes a little bit of sense. Because as we get together today through today's slice of our Monday through Saturday journey, reading through the Bible in a year time together, my brain is exploding because I've really been digging into this Old Testament regulation stuff in Leviticus and trying to go, how does that touch down for us today? Now, Paul, interestingly, you're going to hear it today. Paul used the topic of idolatry to encourage Corinthians not to do things that might hinder another person's faith. We're going to hear that today. And today we're going to hear him even refer to the golden calf as a warning against worshiping both Yahweh and some other deity, right? God is everywhere and God's the creator, not localized to a geographical region like every other created thing, including demons. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ, as some of them did, and were destroyed by snakes. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples, and they were written 
for our instruction, on whom the ends of the ages have come. So, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I am speaking as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I'm saying. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? What am I saying then? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I'm <laughs> sorry for the interruption. No, I'm not. I, I, no, I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, even Peter writes that Paul is sometimes confusing and hard to understand. So Paul goes, what am I saying then? Oh, good question. Why don't you say that again? So I try to wrap my head around that. He just got done saying, do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? What am I saying then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, but I do say that what they sacrifice they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Pause. We're going to hear him again quote back to them uh, that line, everything is permissible. That's in like quotation marks. So here we go. He says, are we stronger than he? Quote, unquote, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising a question for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, then do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's conscience. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me, as I also imitate Christ. And my friends, that gets us up through chapter 11, verse 1. 
And uh, so I hope you see that that relationship requires balance, right? My own personal freedom. Hey, food is just food. Balanced by the responsibility, if not the uh, opportunity that we heard right there at the very end, right? So I'm not seeking my own benefit, but for the benefit of many so that they may be saved. And we've heard that theme over the last couple days here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, The one other thing I'll point out here that I just think is really useful is that it's easy for us to get lost in some of this description of idolatry because we don't exactly walk down the street, at least in my town, and have silver and gold idols and temples with idols built in them and whatever. I know there still are in other parts of the world, but not here in the greater Seattle area. But I'll say this. It's useful to remember that our own freedom is not libertarian in the sense of being free to do anything we want. It's being free to do what we ought. Right? And what are we called to? First and foremost, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And we actually all have a call and a duty on our lives to get there. All right, turn into our Old Testament segment. In the last few days, we've kind of moved into this, uh, we kind of moved through this section of Leviticus that was a call to holiness, right? There was prohibitions against pagan practices, and there was a literally a call to holiness, be holy because I'm holy. And when they were heard about how the priests should do that in the same kind of way, so as to lead people in the process of growing in or being holy. And now we move into this uh, part of Leviticus that talks about holy times, as in like days, seasons, and as you were going to hear today, holy feasts. Because the holiness that was demanded in every aspect of social and economic life was also woven into this very passage of time. And this chapter lists a sequence of annual festivals by which Israel not only marked seasons of the agricultural year, but celebrated the the history of their redemption. Uh, We should do that too, because broadly speaking, Christians loosely follow the same kind of pattern. Leviticus 23. The Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, These are my appointed times, the times of the Lord that you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day there is to be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord wherever you live. These are the Lord's appointed times, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Passover to the Lord comes in the first month at the twilight of the 14th day of the month. The festival of unleavened bread to the Lord is on the 15th day of the same month. For seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And on the first day you are to hold a sacred assembly. You are not to do any daily work. You are to present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. And on the seventh day there will be a sacred assembly. Do not do any daily work. The Lord's book. You know what? I'm just going to pause and say this. Um, One of the oft debated things is like if you have to go to church. And in a way, I believe that the answer is no, not in a legalistic sort of way. Even though 1 Corinthians, I mean, not, uh, Hebrews 10, is it about 1035, 
says not to neglect the gathering together. But what does one of the things that the New Testament does not change is the existence of Sabbath, right? Um, and what does God call out Sabbath here as? He calls it out as a sacred assembly. So if we want to model ourselves, we don't have to think of it as a rule or a regulation, but God's saying that trusting me with your time like you trust me with your money, trusting me that I've got your back and that I know what's best for your flourishing, Sabbath isn't just taking a day off work. It is a time to be in spiritual relationship my humble opinion as an interpretation of what we're reading right here. Continuing. The Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When you enter the land I am giving you and you reap its harvest, you are to bring the first sheaf of the harvest to the priest. He will present the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. And the priest is to present it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you present the sheaf, you are to offer a year-old male lamb without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering is to be four quarts of fine flour mixed with oil as a food offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering will be one quart of wine. You must not eat, any, eat bread, roasted grain, or any new grain until this very day and until you have brought the offering to your God. This is to be as permanent statute throughout your generations wherever you live. You are to count seven complete weeks, starting the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf to, of the presentation offering, and you are to count 50 days until the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Bring two loaves of bread from your settlements uh, as a presentation offering, each of them made from four quarts of fine flour baked with yeast as first fruits to the Lord. You are to present with the bread seven unblemished male lambs, a year old, one young bull, and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord, with their grain offerings and drink offerings, a food offering of a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You are also to prepare one male goat as a sin offering and two male lambs, a year old, as a fellowship sacrifice. The priest will present the lambs with the bread of first fruits as a presentation offering before the Lord. The bread and the two lambs will be holy to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you are to make a proclamation and hold a sacred assembly. You are not to do any daily work. This is to be a permanent statute wherever you live throughout your generations. When you, catch this friends, when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien I am the Lord your God. The Lord spoke to Moses. Tell the Israelites, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you are to have a day of complete rest, commemoration and trumpet blasts, a sacred assembly. You must not do any daily work. You must present a food offering to the Lord. The Lord again spoke to Moses. The tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. You are to hold a sacred assembly and practice self-denial. You are to present a food offering to the Lord. On this particular day, you are not to do any work, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for yourselves before the Lord, your God. If any person does not practice self-denial on this particular day, he is to be cut off from his people. I will destroy 
among his people anyone who does any work on this same day. You are not to do any work. This is a permanent statute throughout your generations wherever you live. It will be a Sabbath of complete rest for you, and you must practice self-denial. You are to observe your Sabbath from the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening. The Lord spoke to Moses. Tell the Israelites, The festival of shelters to the Lord begins on the fifteenth day of this seventh month and continues for seven days. There is to be a sacred assembly on the first day, and you are not to do any daily work. You are to present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the eighth day, you are to hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You are not to do any daily work. These are the Lord's appointed times that you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for presenting food offerings to the Lord, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its designated day. These are in addition to the offerings for the Lord's Sabbaths, your gifts, all your vow offerings, and all your freewill offerings that you give to the Lord. You are to celebrate the Lord's festivals on the 15th day of the seventh month for seven days after you have gathered the produce of the land. There will be complete rest on the first day and complete rest on the eighth day. On the first day, you are to take the product of majestic trees, palm fronds, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You are to celebrate it as a festival to the Lord seven days each year. This is a permanent statute for you throughout your generations. Celebrate it on the seventh month. You are to live in shelters for seven days. All the native-born of Israel must live in shelters so that, so that your generations may know that I made the Israelites live in shelters when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared the Lord's appointed times to the Israelites. All right, that is a whole lot of festivals. Uh, My friends, if there's something to pay attention to there, here before we get to our wisdom segment, it's that God is the sovereign Lord of time. And he calls us to order our time around him and go into his presence regularly to worship him and thank him and commit to him and seek his forgiveness. And I like the way Warren Wiersbe puts it, God's people are a scattered people who must be gathered, a sinful people who must be cleansed, and a suffering people who must be given joy. I like that because it tells us what what we need to do as leaders. God's people need to be served. There are scattered people who must be gathered, a sinful people who must be cleansed, a suffering people who must be given joy. And maybe it's just because uh, the name of this program is called For the Hope. That's what we set our hearts on, right? We look around at a messy world. They've got so much to live for. Mm. All right, picking up in Proverbs chapter 17 at verse 7. For our wisdom segment, here we go. Eloquent words are not appropriate on a fool's lips. How much worse are lies for a ruler? A bribe seems like a magic stone to its owner. Wherever he turns, he succeeds. Whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. A rebuke cuts into a perceptive person more than a hundred lashes into a fool. 
An evil person desires only rebellion. A cruel messenger will be sent against him. Better for a person to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his foolishness. If anyone returns evil for good, evil will never depart from his house. And finally, to start a conflict is to release a flood. Stop the dispute before it breaks out. And that gets us up through verse 14. And I like that. It speaks to thinking ahead about wise living. Right? I mean, if we had a, if we circle back around, last couple of days we've been talking about the tensions that require balance in relationship. Today, talking about our freedoms relative to our responsibilities or duties to our, to our fellow citizens or our fellow Christians. But what's the goal? Right? You're a minister of reconciliation, and the goal is reconciliation to Christ. If somebody isn't a Christian, our goal is reconciliation to Christ, meaning we help them become a Christian. If somebody is a Christian, it's either correcting, course correcting along the way or growing in affection that overflows then for others. Lord God, I just want to lift that up. I didn't read very well today, Lord, and I, I just want to give it to you. Lord, I just pray that your words would sink deeply into our hearts, Lord, and that by the power of your Spirit, you would give us a courage to love. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.